0: It's Body Talk, with me, the Nihilist, a.k.a. Dr. Gay. Actually, I must make clear at this point in the show, I am not a medically certified doctor, so any physical or health advice that you may hear coming from me on this show is not to be acted upon, because I am not actually a medical professional. But having said that, our other guest this week is... This is episode number three of Body Talk with The Nihilist and the second of our special guests to come on the show. Very, very excited to have this one on. Um, You may know them from the Channel 4 reality show Drag SOS that aired last year. A show in which a band of marauding drag queens move from town to town in their drag bus, enacting vigilante queer justice upon the local populations. Or in other words, they went around from town to town in the drag bus, grabbing people and putting them in drag and getting them up on stage to perform. And who led this marauding horde? The one, the only, one of the biggest names in UK drag, Cheddar Gorgeous. Now, while I may not be an actual doctor, Dr. Gay was just a production, music production pseudonym I adopted for a little while in around 2005-2006. Cheddar actually is. Cheddar is technically a sexpert. They've done a doctorate in anthropology and it's based around sex work. So by all standards, Cheddar Gorgeous actually is an expert in the area of sex to the degree where they have a doctorate. So, very excited to have Cheddar Gorgeous on the show for this episode As usual, we're keeping things to a general theme this week and I think the easiest way to sum up this week's theme is that of compulsion. We do talk about things like how to use the apps to find sexual partners, the danger of that kind of thing as well as the joys of it also the danger and the joys of using drugs in a sexual scenario but I think the theme the core theme that is easiest to sum up this show about, I would say, would be compulsion. So without further ado, let's get to it. But before we do that, I do have to give the customary warning that Body Talk with the Nihilist is a podcast about sex and sexuality, and the language that you're going to be hearing if you choose to listen beyond this point is going to be very frank, very upfront, and there will be descriptions of actual sex acts happening. I want to make this very clear at this point, because I'm aware that Cheddar Gorgeous does have quite a large family-based following because of um, some of the work they do within the drag scene. However, this is is very much not a show for kids. This is a show for adults. If you've stumbled on this because you are a fan of Cheddar Gorgeous through some of the more family orientated work that they do, I'm going to warn you again. This is not suitable for children. It is not really family entertainment. This is for adults. It's frank discussions about sex and sexuality. So you have been warned. If you choose to listen beyond this point and you hear something that offends you, that is now your problem because I have warned you. If you think your ears are not of the disposition of listening to Frank's sexual language, please turn off now. Anyway, Cheddar Gorgeous on Body Talk with the Nihilist. Let's go. Cheddar Gorgeous, welcome to Body Talk. Hi Nile. Hi Cheddar, how are you doing? I'm really good. How are you? I'm not bad.
1: You feeling sexy
0: today? (laughs) Every day.
1: Every day, darling. That's what we like to hear.
0: So on Body Talk, I have a question that I ask every guest who comes on the show. It's the first question, and I'm just gonna come straight out with it. Cheddar Gorgeous, do you remember the first time? I don't know
1: whether I do. Um I must do. I must do. It's one of those things isn't it because it and what do you define as your first time in some respects because I remember I I, I remember like do you know when you were a child like faffing about do you know what i mean faffing about with friends and stuff mm. which were like kind of lit, you know silly things that kids do with one yes. another that have like a sexuality to them yes um and then you know with other kids um when you're a child um but i'm like trying to think of when was the first time? And like, do you count oral or do you count, is it is your first time when you you did, for me, is it when I did penetration? Which one do I class? Because obviously lots of people have different version of when the first mm-hmm. time will be. The first time I remember getting sexual in a way that I, I think of it as sexual was with a friend from school when I was maybe like 16, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And I remember th- 16 would have been 16. Um, and I remember things getting a little bit. I remember staying over one night and things getting sexual, but I don't think I came. Okay. And I don't know whether maybe, maybe nowadays I almost got, and I know for a lot of people, sex isn't about coming, mm-hmm. but I think maybe for me, the first time I kind of had an orgasm with somebody. Yeah. I can't remember that. Mm, fair How enough. What is that? Mm, i mean i guess you know what's happened a lot you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) right well then let me ask you the next question Mm, do you remember the last time i'm probably not allowed to talk about it because
1: of covid restrictions (laughs) true (laughs) enough i completely forgot no no it's fine though but i'm i'm talking about the lad they don't know the listener i'm i was in a bubble I was yeah. a glass of champagne, darling. Yeah. Um, when the last time I had sex, oh, my God, this is really bad, isn't it? No, but it was recent. It's <laughs> not like it's one of those things. It's just because I've got very bad memory. Yeah. Um, but when was the last time I had sex? It would have been... Oh, oh, I know the last time I had sex. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was, it was last week. Okay. It was last week and it was, it was a bit of a disaster. Oh no, really? Yeah, it was a little bit of a disaster. Do you mind sharing with us? Do you want, do you want want me to go proper into the disaster? If you are comfortable, then yeah. Well, I'm up for, I'm up for talking about it. Absolutely fine. Would you, I say a disaster. I don't really think anything in sex for me these days is like a serious disaster. I don't ever walk away from sex feeling Um, Or feeling embarrassed or feeling ashamed about it. You know what I mean? I feel like I've got to that point as an adult where I only tend to get involved with things that I I think I'm going to be fine with. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but it was, it could have gone better, I think. And it was with, um, it was with a lover and we, um, we had sex. And uh, first of all, like I lost a hard on, right? Okay. But I mean, I got it back. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. It they, wasn't like a, it wasn't yeah. like a, it wasn't an end, end of the, the situation. Yes. I got it back. I was just dehydrated. Mm-hmm. I just needed a drink of water. Mm-hmm. I'm a lady of a certain age. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then there was a little, there was a little bit of a mess. Right. Do you okay. know what I mean? Because when, yes. when you're talking, for people who may not be familiar, when you are talking about a little bit of anal pleasuring mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. occasionally, no matter mm-hmm. how many precautions you take, sometimes yes. there can be a mm-hmm. little bit of a mess.
0: Mm. This is something I talk about on the introductory show that I did. Basically, my take on this is that I'm not a scat person. Me Not a scat fan But if
1: you do anal sex For want of a better mm-hmm. phrase shit happens. shit happens No absolutely And that's that's just the way it is And you know you get on with it You find sometimes it kills the mood But it's absolutely fine It's interesting isn't it Talking about um, The fact that that was my last kind of sexual encounter And it makes you confront what's the the things that we perceive of of as embarrassing to do with sex Mm -hmm. that I would be cautious around sharing. And so Mm -hmm. when you asked that question, I was like, oh, should I share that? Mm. What would the other person involved think Mm -hmm. about that? I mean, you don't know them. You don't know them personally out there. But um, I'm not saying the listeners, they don't know them personally. (laughs) Well, you might (laughs) do. You might know them. I don't know. Um, But obviously they wouldn't know that I'm sharing it about them. But even if I go for me, like sharing something, like as a man, when you share something like, well, do you know what? I lost my erection. Mm. You know what I mean? Isn't it funny the way that we have a whole set of things Mm -hmm. around sex that Mm -hmm. we treat as innately embarrassing and things that we shouldn't talk about? Yes. When in fact, actually, there are functional realities for everyone who has an interesting sex life. Exactly. That's kind of the point of why we're doing this podcast. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I got it immediately. Does that mean I'm finishing and I'm over with now? (laughs) I got the answer. I can move on. Good, good. So you lost your erection. What happened there? (laughs) No, it was fine. Well, I got it back, darling. Oh, beard. I fine. persevered. I yeah. persevered. Normally, I find that if anything like that ever happens for me during sex, all I have to focus on, and this is a little top tip for people out there who ever struggle about, with stuff like that. Um, I always think that focusing on the other person and the other person's pleasure is a short for me, like somebody else experiencing pleasure is a huge turn on. Yes. Absolutely. And that's what I get. So if ever if ever I'm having one of those days, one of those moods where you're tired and you just you know, you can't be asked or whatever, And if I fixate on another person's pleasure, mm. oh I'm back on I'm back on form, I'm ready to go, darling. Yeah. Ready I feel go. that um
0: in relation to cisgendered men as well, there probably is too much emphasis put on the erection as a state in which sex can happen. And when you're, once you do do anal sex and you get quite familiar with it, you find out that actually having an erection is not as important, especially if you're at the bottom as opposed to the top. Mm. Having an erection is not very relevant because your erect penis is not in use, it's the mm. other organs of your body that are in use. So I feel the kind of focus. On having an erection to perform sex is I conceive that as being quite a heteronormative thing Mm. and it's not very queer It's Mm. an aspect of queer sexuality but to completely focus on it is I don't know not necessarily that relevant with a lot of kind of different sex acts with different kind of people with different kinds of bodies
1: It's something that I'm still learning though Niall And Mm -hmm. it's something that, so for me, because I'm a versatile person, Mm -hmm. a very versatile performer, and I like both penetrative and being penetrating, both penetrating and being penetrated Mm -hmm. anally. Um, I feel like we've laid all the cards on the table now. We've Mm -hmm. completely got over me being a child's entertainer in this conversation. (laughs) I hope you're not listening in, those people who tune in for my regular children's story hours. Um, But... um,
0: this I, will have an adult-only warning on it as oh well. Oh, good! I so am glad.
1: Oh, I am glad. Well, they are, mostly I take my clothes off for a living, so I think they've they've <laughs> come to expect it of me these days anyway. Yes, we've seen the pictures. That's right. My mum knows. I, t- I force all this sort of knowledge on her. It's fine, um, but for me, like I'm I'm still struggling to get used to that in, in some respects, and that's because when I'm um, whether I am uh, being the penetrated or the penetrator, like I I normally have a hard on Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. um and so especially for me because i read a lot off the other person's body Mm -hmm. getting used to the idea that somebody may be experiencing pleasure in a way that i don't necessarily experience pleasure because for me i i i just i almost i'm a bit basic in some respects if a person's got a hard on I know they're having a good time. Yes. And um so for me getting used to that and I've had like I've had some lovers for whom they they're very clearly explicit that they have absolutely no priority at all with either getting hard on or having an, ejac- an ejaculation. Yes. And yet for me that's been a very central part of of my sexuality. Okay. Um so that's but that's been an intro- and I think you're always still learning. If you're not learning something new from sex then Mm-hmm. You know what I mean Yes I do
0: know I think um, One of the problems Is that people conceive of sex As just being this solid
1: state When actually It's a very very fluid thing And learning how you like it Do you know I feel like people get to a point Where they're like Well I know I know what I like Oh I know what I like I know what I like, I know what I like. I like Oh no I'm not Chips gravy in. And that's it I know what I like And I'm yeah. not interested In anything else yeah. And I think that That takes out All of the adventure And fun in life Doesn't mm-hmm. it Okay so taking this out To a
0: broader discussion Because we've touched On this topic now Cheddar Gorgeous, what is sex
1: to you, and what does it mean? Oh, God, Do you know, I'm, I'm, I am a mostly single person. Okay, so I I have a, a long distance polyamorous relationship with a um, with one of my boyfriends in America, um, who I don't see very often. So in some respects, sex doesn't come into our relationship. Yes. in a huge way. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of my my day-to-day sexuality is uh is kind of from a very single person's perspective mm-hmm. and it's it's a weird one it's difficult because and i feel like i'm at a very funny point in my life where i'm really questioning a lot what I get out of sex, why, I, why, I, why I have sex, mm-hmm. what satisfaction I get. Mm-hmm. I undoubtedly I enjoy sex. I get a lot of pleasure from other people's pleasure. Sometimes I think that's a little bit too much of the focus for me. Is that I really like to get off mm-hmm. on the idea that you are making somebody else feel something really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I get a, like a real good feel-good buzz out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think sex in its best form can be a great way of communicating with somebody can be a great way of getting to know somebody can be a Mm -hmm. great way of kind of, of of facilitating an intimacy between people i think that when sex is great but increasingly i do find or i fear or i wonder i wonder whether i sometimes feel like i have sex for sex's sake yes um and i'm not i mean i've got a good handle on what i think that might be about and i think there's a couple of things for me what i think it's about um but i do feel sometimes a kind of compulsion around sex a drive okay. yes. a drive i feel like i need to mm-hmm. have sex um and i think some of that is about a craving of intimacy some of that is about needing to feel close to another human being and i think sex does bring me that when i have good sex you get uh that feeling of having felt close and feeling loved and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. But I think there's also some other stuff around sex, which isn't as, I hate you use the word productive, because I don't think we should think about everything in terms of productivity. I don't think you should, do you want know what I mean? You shouldn't. That's very, capitalist. It's it's very, a very capitalist. It's a very capitalist, way, very non-queer way of mm-hmm. looking at things. Yes. But uh, whether sex is always good for me, that's probably another, or whether sex always makes me feel that sense of value and love and intimacy. Yes. Um and I think some of that's bound up with um some of that's bound up with with my gayness in some ways. I think okay. some of that's bound up with the idea of the centrality of sexual identity to who I became and who I feel I am. Yes. And I think some of that and I think that's part, part of the centrality of the construct of sexual identity to a lot of LGBT people yes. and queer people. Yes, exactly. Um and I think there's, there, there is a little bit of a thing that I probably need to move forward with where I'm like, sex is not the only way I can feel valued. Right? Yes, okay. Um, but saying that, sex is a, it's almost like it's a bit of a quick fix sometimes for me. It's like a candy, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It can give you that, um, it's all about love, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. It's all about feeling that need For love Mm -hmm. and um, being seen and being recognised and and feeling connected to another human being. But sometimes I don't think sex fulfils that in the way that I often end up as a single person having sex.
0: Okay, yeah, I understand what you're trying to say there. Um, What you said about love, but in my own personal point of view, I feel like love, like sex, is something that is positioned as being this kind of solid state by mainstream society whereas love is actually this massive expansive spectrum and there's all kinds of different kinds of love that you can experience and that you can share with other people my own personal point of view when it comes to sex i do understand what you're saying about sex is a mode to communicate and to connect with another human being that is definitely true but i think there is more to sex than just that and i see a lot of the sex that i have um because I do have a long-term partner, but we're also open. So I have my long-term sexual relationship with partner, which is much more focused on the communication and the validation, that kind of thing. With the people I have sex with outside of my primary relationship, I kind of view that as being, in a way, and I know this sounds, could sound quite negative to somebody who's not queer or not involved in kind of more expansive sex dialogues, but I see sex a lot of sex, as being like sport in a way. So I'm not a particularly sporty person. I have no interest in team sports or even one-to-one sports. Like some of them are okay. Tennis is okay. But my sport is sex. And the result is not winning or losing. The result is having a nice time. Mm. And sometimes having a nice time is bound up with having an orgasm. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's bound up with receiving the pleasure. Sometimes it's about giving the pleasure. But I see to me, like I said, even though to say that sex is a kind of sport can seem quite negative on one hand, on the other hand, I think it's a good way to view it because it's a consensual relationship that two people are entering into with a specific outcome in mind and the practice of it tends to be quite physical. So I see that there's like different kinds of sex. Yeah, that's my point of view on that, really.
1: And people love sport. They do. People do love sport. There's a reason why people love sport. But I think what's interesting about that is the notion of success and the the notion of achievement Mm -hmm. and the idea that and I think I think the same can be said for a lot of gay identifying men, queer identifying men. Um, I think there is a real notion of our success and value that is bound up mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. our desirability yes, in terms of sexuality. Absolutely. I'm, actually, I'm actually reading at the moment a book called All About Love by Bell Hooks. Do you know what it's about? <laughs> I it, don't have an idea. It's about love. It's very good. And and, and Bell Hooks, uh, there's an entire chapter dedicated to the idea of greed and greed and sexuality and kind of that hunger and that need to, to have status. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think there is a real... And I think for many way, in many ways, I think that's something culturally that gay men, you know, I was raised, I was raised gay. I probably don't identify very clearly gay in the same way that I used to when I was growing up. But okay. <laughs> I was raised gay, you know. Mm-hmm. When I was when I was um, in my late teens and my early twenties, that was the kind of terminology that I used around my sexuality. Yes. Um, and I think within that kind of gay culture, sex plays an incredibly important part of whether you're being, whether you're being seen as desirable uh it's part of a social hierarchy isn't it it's part of determining your place you Mm -hmm. know your place in the pecking order and yeah it can be quite a toxic thing but i think what's interesting is the way that those kinds of dynamics have become so central um in the ways that we pursue sex and intimacy and particularly Mm -hmm. you know apps okay apps have been a um you know the. The the dreaded grinder and uh, grinder Tinder uh, Recon, you know, there's all sorts of different ones out there. Mm-hmm. But the pursuit of sex um, is now something that isn't only limited to the gay club and the sauna mm-hmm. and the cruising ground. Mm-hmm. The pursuit of sex has be some, become something that, if you are so inclined, you can do it at any point of the day yeah um you can yes. do it and you could always go cruising at any point of the day but you know what to I me mean, your, your life and your job would get in the way mm-hmm. you now have the ability to integrate the pursuit of sex into any aspect of your life you can do it at work mm-hmm. you can do it when you're out drinking with friends and people do mm-hmm. you can do it when you're sat at home at night on a week night mm-hmm. do you know what I mean not yeah, just the weekend um and I think for me that has been um and I don't know whether it's just because of the way I I am inclined and the kind of compulsive the compulsive needs sometimes I have for love and regard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, a drag queen who <laughs> has a compulsive need for love and regard? Surely Shock. not. Surely not. Controversy on the air. Gasp. Um, I know that people just won't believe it at home, but I think sometimes for me that that has got very muddled in a way that has not been good for me. Okay. And has not been um. Oh, it has not been a nourishing. Mm-hmm.
0: experience okay would you be willing to go into a bit of detail about that oh my god what do you want to know darling um so what are the negative
1: ramifications of using apps to get sex so much i and i can only speak from my own personal experience yes, so i don't want to people use apps in all sorts of different ways i tend to get into a cycle of use with it that kind of um i will have not have it i not, i'll not have an app on my phone and then i will get into um i'll, I'll redownload it okay and i'll place limitations around the way i'm going to use it yeah because what i noticed if i don't place those limitations around the way that i use it i end up just spending my entire time like in like in many apps like mm. you know people are mm-hmm. the same with twitter people are the same with instagram yeah um and i will get into a pattern of use where i just start using it more and more and more until i'm using it when i'm watching the telly. yeah I'm using it when I'm out drinking with friends. Yeah. And like, certainly what I notice is that the app use gets extreme for me and then I have to stop using it. I'm not even necessarily meeting people. This yeah. is the irony. Yeah. It is that the, um, the system, the immediate feedback system mm-hmm. that you gain from things like social media, mm-hmm. the getting the likes, mm-hmm. the, getting mm-hmm. the getting the, getting the flames, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? The getting the messages in return, Yeah. the, the, the possibility, yes, the reception of possibility that you mm-hmm. get, you know what to I mean the idea of um, constantly opening connections mm-hmm. that it presents mm-hmm. yeah that for me I, I can be very compulsive with that and I have to be careful yes that.
0: I think one of the things about apps that is different from say for instance going to a sauna or going to a cruising ground where you're engaging with the hunt for sex in real life and in real time in front of you with an app the that pursuit, the usage of the app, to pursue sex becomes a kind of sex act in itself whereas you don't go to a cruising ground and get so horny because you're in a cruising ground that that's a sex act you still go to a cruising ground to try and meet someone else to have sex with Mm -hmm. whereas with the apps it kind of encourages the hunt for sex on the app to be a kind of sex act in its own right which is why you get so many people on the apps who talk a lot about meeting up But then when it comes down to it and you actually proposition them with a specific time and date to meet in real life to have actual physical sex, they disappear because their interest is not in meeting someone in real life. It is still to position their own desirability and they get the um, that is validated to them through their use of the apps.
1: I think it's important to say that I don't think that in in, and in that in and of itself is Mm. a problem necessarily. Absolutely. I think that's how some people will engage. That is, like you say, it's a sexual pleasure for some people. Yes. You know what I mean? And there is not a problem with that necessarily. And I don't perceive a problem in me spending a lot of time Mm -hmm. doing that stuff. I think there are are two, well, probably three issues with it. One is that um, upon reflecting on those experiences... Emotionally, I don't feel like I've gained anything. In fact, actually, I normally end up feeling like I've wasted my time. Yes. um, Especially if I haven't ended up meeting somebody, which is the norm. But you end up feeling like, or at least I end up feeling like oh, I could have done something else with my evening tonight. Yes. I could yeah. have, I could have done work. Hmm. Um, isn't that a dreadful thing to say? I could have done some work, for <laughs> God's sake. You are such a capitalist. I am so, no, I'm just a workaholic. Like, that's, that's, it's, how I, <laughs> it's how I value myself. It comes from my mom. It's like an incredibly working class yeah. characteristic. If you're not my working. My dad is very, very similar. Totally. totally you, you feel like you're wasting somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think number two is that that channel of desire ends up enforcing itself so i think the more you get into it Mm -hmm. the more time you spend doing it the more um energy you you put into doing that Mm -hmm. um it ends up becoming more distracting and more compulsive at least for me it has yeah um and I think as a result, you genuinely, that's when you start to get into a position where you're like, this is starting to affect my work. It's starting to affect mm. my social relationship. It's starting yes. to affect my relationship. If yeah. you're in, for example, an open relationship and you're yeah. you're able to kind of fool about on apps. I think those things, you can get swept along with that flow. But also I think there's something interesting which relates to what you were just saying about um, the way that it encourages us to see one another and the kinds of sex we have with each other. Okay, And I think... Um, One of the things that, there's a a, a wider point that that do remind me to talk about capitalism, Mm -hmm. but there's- Oh, I think we'll be talking about capitalism. Oh, I suspect (laughs) you can always have a little bit of a chat about capitalism. Let's talk about unregulated free market market economics, totally. Um, But if you think about how we present ourselves to one another with an image and a short description, um, I think those kind of forums, dating apps, are very much about- controlled presentations of fantasies absolutely and i think sometimes um that is where people want to engage with you at mm-hmm. and i think they don't want to engage with any aspect of your person mm-hmm. that interferes mm-hmm. with their the fantasy that they have of you yes which comes from those images yeah. and bios yeah um and i think that limitation on us it ends up dictating the kinds of sexuality we have and the intensity of connections that we can have. Yeah. And it ends up getting in the way of, for want of a better word, the depth that one might achieve. Yeah. Um, when it comes to thinking about how sex can be a form of communication mm-hmm. and sharing of knowledge of one another. Yeah. Because people are cautious around disrupting the fantasy by which they have come to secure the intimacy. Yeah. And I think that's when you end up thinking how sex through those forums um ends up getting in the way of the true potential of a good time that i think sex can be yeah um if we're going to take the kind of broader idea of 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 what that the broader idea i suppose of what the purpose of the apps is Mm -hmm. because we have a fantasy that the apps are going to help us meet the partner of our dreams or even just the shag of our dreams Mm -hmm. for that night. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. They're going to help us to gain uh, some kind of moment, whether that be an instantaneous form of gratification or whether that be a long-term relationship. And I think the truth is about the systems that we're using to do that is that they are not designed to fulfill that function. No, not at all. They are designed to keep you online. The last thing that Tinder wants Mm. is for you to meet the partner of your dreams Mm -hmm. because the moment you meet the partner of your dreams and exit Tinder, you are no longer, Mm -hmm. um, you're no longer commodity to them. Your attention is no longer drawn to the advertising space. Yes. And I think that is the real thing that we're missing with Grindr yeah. and with Tinder. Yeah. And I think in some respects, it's where I see that compulsiveness occurring and why that compulsiveness occur- occurs. Because the systems are designed yeah. to get us to keep using yeah. them, to want the next tap, to want the next message. And I think that's the real problem with it. Yeah. Um, because then they're, they're not designed to fulfill the function that we feel they are going to fulfill
0: okay, so this is an interesting point for me to talk about the usage of apps and my own personal use of the apps um, I completely understand what you're saying about how the apps sell themselves as being a forum where you could potentially meet your long term partner and there's a lot of people on those apps for that specific purpose but I already have a long term partner ironically enough, I met them on Facebook but I don't use the apps with the desire to meet someone for a long-term relationship or to become romantically involved with someone. My use of the apps is just to meet fuck buddies, just to meet people who want to engage with me simply of the act of sex. But also we get on, you know, we're friends and then we fuck. It's, you know, that is my personal usage of the apps now. It's gotten to the point where when I go on some of the apps that I do use and I see a person has set up a profile and one of their things is like looking for the one, I skip past it because, A, I'm not going to be the one. But B, I firmly believe that, unfortunately, you are not going to meet the one on this app. So I feel like I'm not going to waste this person's time. And if they do ask me anything about that, I will tell them straight, I don't think you're going to meet a long-term partner on a sex app. Now, full disclosure from my end, I actually don't use many sex apps at all. I'm not on Grindr. I've never used Tinder. Um, the kind of sex and the kind of men that I look to have sex with are very niche and they tend to have their own kinds of apps set up for them. So the app that I, well, I'm on growler, which is like, grrr. Grrr, which is like <laughs> grinder for bears. Um, and there is an element of growler where you, they are selling it as being a form where potentially you could meet someone for a long-term relationship the other app and I'm on recon as well because I have certain fetishes but I don't use recon that often but the main i mean it is an app but it's also a website because it's been around a lot longer than apps have existed actually the main forum that I use to make casual sex connections is a website called fab guys so it's an offshoot of a website called fab swingers which was oh, originally I remember that yeah fab swingers it's yeah. old school me and my partner have actually come to describe Fab guys now as Fuck Advisor, because the way it works is that you get to leave a note on people's profiles.
1: Oh my god, like a tri- Oh my god, that's like hilarious. a trip
0: advisor. So you, for instance, see a picture of somebody and the thumbnail sparks your interest. You click on that, you read through their likes, dislikes, their physical statistics, and then at the bottom of the page, they have verifications which have been left by them, for them, by other people that they have met through this website. So it actually makes connecting with people for the simple act of forming casual sex relationships quite easy and quite direct. And if, for instance, you flick through somebody's verifications and if they have a few of them and you see one person that you've had sex with or maybe two people that you've had sex with, it kind of suggests to you that this person is into similar things to me because they've had sex with X, Y, Z. And um, It also means that if you trust X, Y, Z or your other sex connection between your personal relationship with your with xyz partner if they have commented something positive on this other person you're more likely to take that as being authentic because you trust xyz sex partner to leave an authentic verification for this other person so the forum the i keep it's not really an app but i will keep referring to it as an app because app is just a good shorthand language for the kind of computer programs that we're talking about so my preferred app that i like to use to make sex connections is fab guys which comes from Fab Swingers. Swingers suggests that you have already found your long-term romantic connection. You have found your long-term partner, but you both like to have sex with other people, so you swing. So Fab Guys comes from an arena where long-term romantic relationships are not necessarily what this app or what this website was set up for or to connect to. And I then, when like, because I use Fab Guys so much, when I go back onto Growler or, no, you know, Recon doesn't really look for long-term sex relationships. Recon is quite similar in that it's so niche. It's not about necessarily creating long-term romantic relationships. It's just people who have specific sex interests who want to meet each other. But when I go back onto something like Growler, the aspect that they're trying to sell you of meet the one on this website, I see through it quite transparently because I don't believe that you are going to meet the long-term romantic relationship of your life through something that's actually set up to make casual sex
1: connections. But I don't think it's... So, do you know, the one could be the life partner, but I think also the other fantasy they sell you is it's the one for right now, right? And I think you're equally as susceptible on those apps to have your attention Stolen yeah. to have your attention distracted and to, to have advertisers selling to you, mm-hmm. um, even if you're just looking for that quick fix sh- shag, it mm-hmm. still may not fulfil your desires. Mm-hmm. And I I always mm-hmm. think of it as like if you think about your economy of time. I know it's very of me again, <laughs> Niall. I'm, God, you're I'm all sure about I the don't. money. And no, but what what I'm saying is so like if you go to a sauna, yeah, the amount of time you dedicate to it mm-hmm. to the level of pleasure that you gain, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Generally, is far better than the amount of time you can dedicate to an app to the extent of the amount of meaningful connection whether that be a one-night stand or Mm -hmm. whether that be a relationship because Mm -hmm. i think one-night stands can absolutely be meaningful connections oh yeah um so i think that's that's the kind of the issue i think about that is i think you still are susceptible to those same problems even if you're just looking for a shag yeah i would say that there is a difference between an app and a forum and that's because apps the way that we receive them on our phones they are designed to steal our attention that's how they make their money yeah. whereas a forum and a social forum something that may be set up without a profit motive mm-hmm. which i'm assuming probably is what fab guys does i would imagine so because as far as i'm aware they don't have advertising well there you go and yeah. that immediately yeah, yeah. tells you that the purpose behind it is much more orientated to your desires and fulfilling your desires yes yet the apps that win out yeah. and the forums that win out tend yeah. to be the ones that are uh, commodifying our attention. Yes. And I don't know if you've seen The Social Dilemma, which is a superb documentary on Netflix. No, I haven't. All about that. Yeah. Um, and you can definitely relate it to the way that our sexuality has been commodified in a very similar way. Our, se- our sexual attention has been mm-hmm. commodified. Yeah. Our energy So
0: what would, would you mind sharing with us? What would be your cutoff point where you realize... This um, is going on too much.
1: I, had, I deleted Grindr last night, actually. So it's really right, yeah. it's really interesting that you say that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it's when, like, so I came in last night, I got home, and I just switched on the app, put something on the telly, and I spent my evening sitting, looking at the app. Yeah. Um, not, not meeting anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I don't like the person I become. And I think it's when it turns around and I'm like, I don't like, and I'm very, I'm very honest mm-hmm. on those apps, mm-hmm. but I just think, oh God, I'm frigging boring. Do you know what I mean? I'm sat here and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like, I describe myself as like Ripley from Aliens <laughs> okay. um, because that's the only way I can see it positively. You know, there's on, on Grinder, for example, you have this little system where you can put a flame to people. Okay. Do you know what I mean? And I just get to that really weird point where I'm just like, and it's genuine, I find the person attractive, mm-hmm. but I'm like flaming every fucker. Do mm. you know what I mean? I'm mm. like, I'm, when she's in the queen egg chamber, yeah. she's bursting with the flame thrower <laughs> all over. I'm like, that's what I feel like. And mm. I, I feel like it brings out in me a lot of my like a lot of bad qualities i feel like it brings out an almost desperate need for that Mm. love and affection Mm -hmm. and actually the best kinds of sexual encounters tend to be the ones that are with people who i've I've had sexual relationships with for a while yeah um and i find that when i delete the app um i'm a lot more settled i don't have that same need Mm -hmm. um and when it comes to fulfilling the need I have for intimacy and connection, mm-hmm. I fulfill it in much better ways and much more nourishing ways. Yeah. But I think com- com- compulsion around sex um, is, I don't know, I, I feel like it's a it, its a real wider issue. Mm-hmm. Like I said, to go back mm-hmm. to the idea, for, particularly for gay men, mm-hmm. and that kind of desire to always be the one or, or always be, having an exciting sex life Mm -hmm. and a more extreme sex life and a more adventurous sex life um i think that's become so bound up with how we value ourselves and each other yes that for many people i think it can be a much bigger problem yeah and i'm particularly thinking around and it blends in with the idea of what apps do in that idea of availability of sex all the time Mm -hmm. that thing you can go out and you can shag whoever you want whatever you want Mm -hmm. um particularly when that starts to get bound up with certain kinds of drugs um, okay. And to be clear, I am I am a very sex positive person and I am a very, um, to a certain extent, with certain drugs, um, I have no issue of mm. what people wish to do with their own body. With yeah. certain kinds of drugs, um, I think there are many drugs that people can take and they can be nice, positive experiences in their lives. But mm. there are certain drugs that have become bound up mm. with sexuality and particularly sexuality for gay men okay that end up it feels like from my perspective as a person in in my community feels like can be a real problem for our community when it comes to the idea of compulsion sex desire and value okay what are those drugs um if i'm being specific and i may i may make i may make uh i won't make any but i feel like i'll I'll probably there'll be friends who may feel uncomfortable kind of that for some of my friends these are drugs that they take yeah um I think uh crystal meth okay. um and G. Yeah. And um they they are drugs that I have seen ruin people's lives. Yeah. And they are drugs uh G in particular is a a drug that can kill very easily. Yes. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think the thing and the thing about G I have I have many very good friends who would use G recreationally. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't, and I have no interest in using it, and that's because the story around G is that if you use it sensibly, it's safe. Mm-hmm. The real problem there is that when you're using a drug, it is very difficult to continue using a drug sensibly. Okay, and G is uh, by its very nature by its very nature because it, it impacts on the way yes. that you're able to function and think mm-hmm. and think clearly, and for a lot of people. Um, Party culture is mixed up with mixing different drugs And I think that's where you get into This really kind of sticky territory Where um, And I I have known Over the last few years So many people who I just knew from clubbing People Mm -hmm. who I would know Because I'm a drag queen So I work a lot in nightclubs Mm -hmm. And there is a stream Of young men Who are dead And uh, the, the same story comes out each time. And I, mm-hmm. I, I'm very honest with my friends who use G because mm-hmm. I think that um, to sometimes to the extent where it probably makes them feel uncomfortable and they think I'm being a real party pooper. But do you know what? The mm-hmm. thing is that the story comes out whenever somebody dies from G, mm-hmm. people say oh, it's because they weren't sensible. And it's the most frustrating thing for me because yeah. it's only when somebody's dead that people deem them not sensible. Yeah, And I think that is the story that people who who use that drug tell quite a lot mm-hmm. um and whilst i fully support people doing things to their own bodies that that they feel good when mm-hmm. it comes to um younger people getting involved in that and the first time you use drugs like that for me there is a, a massive responsibility mm-hmm. um to be honest yeah around the risks that are involved in that drug yeah and i think a lot of people who use g are not honest with themselves about the risks and how easy it is yeah. to overdose and okay to just die yeah And crystal meth, God, I don't think we even need to discuss that one. It's just a fucking shit drug. Um,
0: I think that's quite fair, actually. One thing that I am aware of, though, is in mainstream discourse, the idea of having sex on drugs or mixing the sex experience with the drug experience is overwhelmingly negative. It's seen as being quite Mm. a bad thing. Like the only thing you hear about in the press, in the mainstream media, about... Chemsex, which means chemical sex and in the gay underground mm. is short term for parties mm. where men go have sex with each other and take can be quite a lot of drugs, can be not as many drugs, can be a variety of different kinds of drugs. But it all comes under this umbrella of chemsex and chemsex parties. The only thing you ever hear about in the mainstream media is negative information mm. because drug taking itself is negatized massively in the mainstream media. And also it's about the taboo of gay sex. So when you mix those two things, it's almost like a perfect storm of this is, um, what's the word when the media try and drum up a a moral panic? This is a moral panic waiting to happen if it's not already happened. And one of my outlooks on the world that I feel makes me queer, and I don't know if you agree with this, but this is something I've discussed in the previous show, is taking what the mainstream world tells you is right and good and analysing that and sometimes realising it's actually the exact opposite of what mm. is right and good. What they are telling you to do is actually bad even though they framed it as being the good thing. Mm. That to me is one of the central tenets of queerness. It's analysing mainstream narratives, being aware that sometimes mainstream narratives are lies. So when it comes to chemsex, yes, I think it is fair to point out that there are certain drugs that overwhelmingly the... Um, How these drugs affect people and the states that they put them into are negative. Definitely, you know, I've never taken G and I've never taken T. Um, So I'm not really a person to comment on the state that they will put a person into once they are ingested. But for me personally, I've no interest in taking them because they don't attract me. The things that they are purported to do, the effect that they have on the person who is taking them, I have no interest in having a drug do that to my body. I'm much more interested in making my body do that naturally. Mm. So for me, for instance, when it comes to anal play, I don't like to use poppers until it gets to the point where, oh, I really need to get that in. And the only thing that will have that effect of loosening my muscles and stretching the passage enough is a hit of poppers. Where there's some people who bust out the poppers as the minute they walk in the door. That's me, honey. (laughs) But like, I'm not making, I'm not making a value judgment here. I'm just saying that this is my personal experience of drugs and my own interaction with drugs and specifically in a sexual scenario, the usage of drugs. So, okay, there's negative aspects of particular drugs being used in a chem sex scenario, but do you think that there may be
1: positive aspects of chemsex as a culture? I think I think well I think chemsex in general tends to refer to, um, meth, mm-hmm. um, or Tina, as you as you called it T, G, mm-hmm. um, occasionally Mcat, mm-hmm. and uh, ketamine
0: and cocaine really oh yes God, i think cocaine dog. is quite a large because i feel like cocaine is the kind of like gateway drug <laughs> yeah it is the gateway drug <laughs> the ent- that oh we're just doing a bit of coke The entry. oh um, yeah. should we get in a bag of blah 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 Ugh. and not again this coke. is not a value judgement by me some of my friends do this totally um but i f- do see coke as being one of the core mm-hmm. drugs of chemsex and it is yeah. quite often the kind of Baseline drug that is used yep. to get people interested in going to those totally.
1: kind of parties So totally um so I think Moments of Extremeness moments uh moments uh, where you push outside of your regular day-to-day life I think they can have a real value mm-hmm. um I think uh I just don't think that It's with G Um okay and or with meth and I, th- yeah. I think that I mean I, I don't I don't use any of those drugs that okay. I just described I love poppers mm-hmm. I absolutely love poppers That mm-hmm. that's almost like enough for me I'm like yeah fine um, are they even really a drug <laughs> oh, well yeah yeah they are um, so <laughs> but it's also I think a lot of the time people ignore the interaction between drugs so cocaine um, people often blame cocaine for a lot of stuff I think cocaine shit because it kills a lot of people getting mm-hmm. here not in the usage of it but I yeah. think a, a lot of Central American people and uh, South American people die yeah. to get you your good time and I just think that's a bit shit yeah um but uh as a drug it interacts incredibly badly with alcohol. Yes. Um and yeah. I think alcohol to be honest with you, alcohol interacts very badly with most drugs. With most <laughs> drugs. Yes. Yeah. Um it's a it's a bad it's a it's a shitty drug. It's ironic that it's the the one that's legal here. Mm-hmm. Um but I think there is a real issue around how our th- uh, that you know that queer desire to invert what mainstream culture tells us yes. and the things that were maybe used to scaremonger yes. and to uh, oppress people mm-hmm. who have different lifestyles. Mm-hmm. There is a real problem though um, in how you take that attitude and the fear of moral panic. Mm-hmm. How that then becomes uh, it becomes um, a barrier mm-hmm. to tackling a very real issue. Okay. For our community. Yes. And like, so I'm like, I'm well into having the idea of I am part of a fucking queer community. Mm-hmm. And I, what I see is people dying. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what I care about. Mm-hmm. And I see people dying and I see a story being told around it. And I just don't like it. Mm. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think there comes a point where you have to go, Actually, that's really bad for new people coming into the scene. Yeah. It's probably really bad because, because it could just happen accidentally to you. Yeah. If something's done, you know, if you take a little bit too much. Yeah. I think it's just a bad drug. Okay. Like, And, and, and I know that yeah. you should say that there's no such thing as a good or a bad drug. There's only mm. good and bad usage. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I think that drug, and I'm sure lots of people take it in a way that doesn't kill them each mm-hmm. time. But you mm-hmm. know what? It's just a bit too close. Yeah. Just to be and I and, and I just see a bit too many deaths. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's been like there's been like three or four this year or something. People aren't even going clubbing. Yeah. Um but I think how that gets bound up as well with the compulsion we have around uh the need to feel valued by our sexuality and how uh, like we were saying, if it's an extreme moment that you do every few months where you mm-hmm. go crazy and you go fucking mental and mm-hmm. you have a really lovely time mm-hmm. and that's the way that you release and you express yourself and you connect with other human beings. Absolutely lovely. But yeah. I think for many people, when it's bound up with that way of finding value through yourself, through sexuality, when you mm-hmm. struggle to find meaning elsewhere mm-hmm. in your life as mm-hmm. a result of that yeah. or as part of that, I don't think anything is as simple as something being a cause and effect and a result. Mm-hmm. Um and then you're doing it every weekend, yeah, and it becomes possible to do every weekend because the technologies and the substances are available mm-hmm. for you to maintain that every weekend, yeah, that's when you have to think, "Is this good for me or my community yeah um, and for me not, but then that's that's my values, that's my judgment mm-hmm. um there are other people who would look at the things that I do, the fact that I do poppers so willingly mm-hmm. um they would look at what I do and they go, well, that's really irresponsible. Pops Mm -hmm. are very bad for you. Do you know what I mean? So there's always, but I think what's important is that we have that debate within our community. Yes. And that we shouldn't, because of the fear of moral outrage, which is absolutely a problem. I'm sure that the words that I use today Mm -hmm. could very easily be used by the telegraph or the daily mail Mm -hmm. to project a a kind of expose you know what, actually we know this already. Mainstream culture knows that it's happening. Mm -hmm. We know it's happening within our culture Mm -hmm. and, if we are going to have those tools and those pleasures and those good times, then we also need the dialogue and discourse around it that makes it as safe as possible so that those guys aren't dying. Yeah, no, I
0: completely understand that. That is a very valid point. I think kind of what I'm trying to get at with the moral panic outrage aspect of it as well, though, is how come we're not talking about all the straight chemsex sex parties? Well, I don't care about them.
1: Well, but beyond <laughs> But it's well, not I my community. It's not yeah. my community. But you're, you're in the mainstream culture they're not talking about that
0: in the mainstream culture they're yep. not talking about it. But yet it's another aspect of what is seen as the homosexual totally. lifestyle totally. that is from the get-go is demonized. Totally. And surely there's a huge swathe of heterosexual people who will also be using G and Tina, ketamine, Coke, all the like all the party drugs, the love drugs, all the more intense things. have sex with and to put themselves in scenarios that they may otherwise not have been comfortable doing, but because they're on the drug, they will do it. It's like if it's happening in queer world, more than likely it's also happening in the straight world. But the dialogue around this kind of thing is focused very, very much on how it's happening in the queer world. And that is something that I want to try and get beyond with, um, you know, I just want to investigate why that would be the case. So I don't want to seem like when we're talking about chemsex, mm. quote unquote mm. as sexual activity that it's purely negative because sure. there have like I have been involved in sexual scenarios where I've taken some of those drugs and they've been amazing and beautiful and I've actually really learned things about myself about sure. them and the people I'm with because I trust those people and we trust each sure. other so I'm quite wary of demonizing this culture this aspect of our culture too much Mm. because that again is like I said playing into heteronormative values which are Mm. out to get us which are against us and also because it conflicts with my own personal experience Mm. like I said though I mean I don't take G and I don't take Mm. Tina
1: they don't appeal to me I'm and they feel, well the thing is that now that then and for those people who use them and use them sexfully, successfully and aren't dying, mm. they can be very positive experiences yes, because absolutely because they haven't you know encountered the riskier aspect of it yet. Absolutely, yeah. um, I would say that those people in the mainstream who come for gay people are going to come for you regardless of what they think they've got on you. Yeah. Um. So that is always going to occur. Yeah. Um. I think one of the most important things that we can do to combat that is by being transparent and having those discussions within our own community. And I think that's what's not taking place. So if actually somebody comes for you and goes, well, they take a lot of G and Tina, all this stuff, and you're going, you know what, we see how this can be an issue in our community, we also mm. see how people can enjoy those things in a way that don't become problematic for them. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're doing to tackle those issues within our community when they do become a problem. Yeah. If you can do that, if you have that defensibility and that transparency of yes. being able to do that, you're in a far better position than actually just trying to not talk about it and hide it away. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes yeah. what we slip into. Yeah. So what I would love to see is that people who take G really look into it Yeah. Really look into, and people who take Tina and and say it can be a really positive thing, really look into it and question uh, themselves. Do the thing that they would do to the mainstream um, uh, scaremongering that Mm -hmm. we like to do in our queer cultures Mm -hmm. and actually go, well, what is the reality of this drug for some people who aren't having a good time in it? What are the, and I don't know, there's that cycle that you see, guys go through who are in party culture uh, in London, you know, where they'll start off and then three months, you know, oh, they're having a great London. time in that London place. In that London. Well, it's really bad in London, apparently. Really bad. Everything's really, really bad, bad in bad London. London. It's really bad in London. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but, you know, when people start out and they, they start to get into too many parties and they're going and doing those things too much, everything seems fine and fun. And it's only when you're kind of further along and you're so cloistered within that that community for want of a better word within yeah. that culture yeah. um that it's kind of you're, you're trapped and it's too late in it mm-hmm. right and um mm. so i think absolutely acknowledge that drugs are things that people can do and have a good time on mm-hmm. but also don't try and cover up that yes. some drugs can be really shit yes. and my mm-hmm. I, I was saying i was having a yeah. chat with my sister the other day about drugs and how to talk to children about drugs and I think we have this real problem in our culture where we go all drugs bad Mm -hmm. all drugs bad and the problem with that is Mm -hmm. that one day your child is likely to go out into the world and they are likely to try a drug that doesn't make them feel bad Yes, and if they have in their mind all drugs bad mm. and they the first drug that I encounter, I treat alcohol as a drug, by the way. So mm-hmm. I'm not scared to use the word drug. Yeah. Um, and I, I include alcohol within that. But if they go out and they have a drug and it doesn't hurt them immediately mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel bad and actually it feels good and it mm-hmm. doesn't become a problem for them. Um, they then start to go, well, if that drug is yeah. OK, yeah. maybe this drug is OK well, that drug's okay. Maybe this drug is okay. I think we just need to get better at talking about the effects of drugs, the fact that they can have really positive and nice effects on you. But also there are some drugs which I actually just don't think probably will ever be that great for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And the scale of risk to benefit. Mm -hmm. This is the risk of this drug. We need to just get more nuanced. And the fact that heroin is a hugely different drug from weed. Yeah. And yeah, that was the conversation I was having with my sister anyway, but we yeah. deviated slightly off topic, but no, I think, I think this is a perfect topic the cent- the center for me is very much around that, and maybe maybe i I have to like own some stuff here too mm-hmm, okay. and go that I am probably projecting mm-hmm. my fear of compulsion, yes into this, yes, you know what I mean because mm-hmm. i f- I fear that aspect within myself mm-hmm. i fear that hunger within myself sometimes absolutely um sometimes i think i fear it in a healthy way mm-hmm. <laughs> and other times i probably fear it in a way that mm-hmm. could be could be more relaxed
0: but i mean at least you have the self-awareness to know that that is something that is going on inside you yeah oh totally and the, the compulsion aspect like what we talked about before about sex and knowing that if you're that compulsive about sex Perhaps you might also be could mm. be that compulsive about drug use if you got into it,
1: yeah. and that's something to be very wary of. Well, I haven't yet. I haven't. I haven't no. been compulsive. I'm. I've never been as, as compulsive around substances as I as I have been around love. Yeah. Isn't that a Isn't that a lovely thought? Oh, yes. Love <laughs> compulsion. But it, no love, and I do want to bring it back to love because yeah. I think there is an, a drive for for meaning and a drive for love, um, and trying to find something that fills you up. Mm -hmm. i think ooh, yeah i yeah Mm -hmm. ironic like physically and um but literally and figuratively Mm -hmm. that idea of feeling filled Mm -hmm. um i think that is hugely bound up with the pursuit of sex and intimacy yeah um I don't also, think it has and to also be. drugs and also drugs yeah you know that that needs to and and that kind of sex party chem sex party mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. that need to feel part of something anything an extreme a moment yeah. a um an experience which is larger than yourself yes and I think I think for a lot of queer people, we, we, there are many other places we can find it, obviously. But I think sometimes that's just where that desire gets channeled. And I think that mm. can be, it can be great sometimes. It can be shit other times, like mm. a lot of things in the world. Yeah. But I think be honest about both. Yeah.
0: Like you said, the only way we can really deal with these issues properly
1: and fairly is to just have these transparent dialogues around them and yeah and but i also like i feel like i'm painting myself here as like a compulsively driven like uh, crazy person actually like sex has been sex can be very positive for me and i love mm-hmm. i do love sex and i yes. have very great sex and i have yeah. very loving sex yeah um
0: yeah i feel like Well, we've been talking for nearly an hour, you know, so I think we should probably wrap it
1: up quite soon. Try and try to make me sound less crazy if you could.
0: (laughs) That'll be a hard job, dear. But um, like you said, I think, um, yeah, having transparent conversations about these issues where we can discuss them openly and frankly. Mm. And that is the point of me starting this podcast series, Body Talk, is to be able to have a forum where we can discuss these things without the potential stigma that is forced upon them. By heteronormative societies and cultures that don't actually understand mm. why the subcultures are involved in these kind of mm. things like i do it's not as easy as saying that sex and drugs are neutral they're not neutral because they do engender mm. feelings and emotions and physical reactions in the people but the reactions that we have to sex and in terms of both sex the act and also sex culture and then our reactions to drugs in terms of drug the the um, substance but also drug cultures they can be a lot more nuanced than okay. what we are told to okay.
1: believe by the mainstream what what I've learned, if I may have my what I've learned moment, yeah, which sure. is like a classic trope within mm-hmm. these sorts of talking moments, isn't it? I think. I will find some U2 style <laughs> inspirational guitar music to lay under this yes, bit please, as a sand yes, bed. Yes, please, thank you. I think that what I have learned is that the best intimacy, the most nourishing kind of intimacy, sexual or otherwise, is bound up with honesty, consideration, and communication with another human being thinking and feeling human being and recognising the other person as another thinking and feeling human being and I think sometimes um, rather than rather than a fixation on our own fantasies of what sex should be and what the other person should be Mm -hmm. I think sex can be an absolutely amazing form of connection Mm -hmm. and in order to embrace that we need to be able to as you say, develop a dialogue around sex yeah. that allows us to understand its intricacies, the potential pleasures mm. that it contains, mm. the potential forms of closeness with another person that it might present. And also the pitfalls. Yeah. Because that's yeah. about being a responsible adult. Yeah. In in appreciating that sex is something that is pleasurable, yes, and is also very powerful. Yeah. And when things have a potential power We should treat them with For want of better words A reverence Mm -hmm. And Mm. I think that doesn't mean uh, I don't think that means restricting Mm -hmm. I don't think that means limiting yourself Or stopping yourself from enjoying things I think if things when they're treated with reverence Become expansive Mm. It should be about really allowing sex To become a space of mutual exploration Or solitary exploration If that's your thing Um, You know don't knock it. it. Don't knock it. Well, knock it if you know what I mean. <laughs> or do knock it. Mm, do <laughs> knock it. Up. Knock it over and over again. But I think that, and that's what I, thats where I'm trying to get to in my own sex life, mm-hmm. in embracing sex as that. And I feel like this has been a really good step towards that journey. Well, so thank, thank you, you Nile.
0: Yeah, thank you, Cheddar. Right, let's wrap up now. Thank you very much for appearing on. Uh, body talk. I do know that you'll be coming back in the future because we've got a lot more talk about, we've including your doctor. And I can't remember off the top of my head now, but there was something you mentioned earlier that was really like we could do an entire show on that. So. Mm-hmm. so I'll probably remember what
1: that was when I go to do the edit. Well, you can always guarantee one thing about me, Niall, and that's I've got plenty to say for myself, haven't I? (laughs) You really do. You've known me for many years, and you know that's always been true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tell the listenership where they can find you. Uh, You can find me on the Instagram. You can find me on the YouTube. uh, You can find me on Twitter. I like to put all my angry self on Twitter, so I like to tweet politicians. Um, So, yeah, you just search Cheddar Gorgeous. Um, You can Google me if you Mm. like.
0: I'll put links in the description as well. Okay. Right. Thank you, Cheddar. And we will speak again soon. And there we have it episode three of Body Talk with the Nihilist. Much thanks again to our very special guest, Cheddar Gorgeous, who I think, well, I'm pretty sure will be coming back onto the show in the not too distant future because we have so much to talk about beyond what we discussed today, including Cheddar's doctorate, which was all about sex work. So that's definitely something that we're going to be talking about again in the future. If you want to find Cheddar, you can find them on Twitter. I'm just going to spell that out to make it easier. So obviously it's twitter.com forward slash. C-H-E-D-D-A-R-G-A-W-J-U-S You can also find me on Twitter if you want to get in touch with me. My, uh, my family-friendly Twitter, ironically. You can find me at twitter.com forward slash The Nihilist. That's T-H-E-N-I-A-L-L-I-S-T. And hopefully you'll be back for episode four. where We'll be being joined by by the fat and very fabulous genotonic and i'm really looking forward to that one because we're just going to go in about what it's like being very sexually active fat people so thank you again for listening to body talk with the nihilist and hopefully we'll have your ears back again soon bye